part of what makes a good sports story is when someone comes from out of nowhere and suddenly becomes a national contender. This is exactly what happened to Nelson Vales, a bike messenger out of Harlem. Black cyclists were traditionally not part of the cycling scene. He opened the door for another rider that was not part of the cycling scene. And we're going to be talking to him tonight, Courtney Bishop, on Fit Foot You. Well, I am uh, honored to have two back-to-back uh, IU alums. I've got, I had Eddie Van Guys yesterday, and tonight I have Courtney Bishop. Completely different story, but equally interesting. I'm going to let you start uh, first. I'm Dr. Ben Pearl, and here with Courtney Bush Bishop. He's, uh, he's been a, a collegiate track runner. He's been a little five rider. He started a black uh, riding team for the little 500 with a, I guess a 50 year plus hiatus. Uh, I think you had to go back to the, what, the 1930s or something, but he'll tell us that. And then he also has had a career as both uh, a cycling coach and a track coach. So without further ado, thank you for being here and tell us a little bit how it all got started. Oh, um, you know, going into the Wayback Machine, I mean, I started in track, so uh, that track's really always been my my uh, first love, first passion, and uh, uh, was born in a place called Aylesbury in the UK, just north of London, and everyone ran, you know, that was the, the age of, uh, you know, Steve Ovette and Sebastian Coe, and just everyone was enthralled with running, and so my brother and I got into running at a super early age. Um, and it just kind of rolled forward. We moved to uh, New York, uh, Brooklyn for a time, and then uh, Albany, New York uh, for the majority of the time. And uh, just had some tremendous track experiences that, uh, that I thought were normal. And uh, the older I got, you know, the, the more I understood that, you know, it's not normal to have three seven foot high jumpers on a high school track team. It's not, uh, you know, it's not normal to have a, uh, you know, a 45 second anchor leg on your, on your four by four in high school. It's not, you know, just a lot of not normal things, you know, guys that ended up being on the U S Olympic team were on my high school track team. Um, you know, guys that, uh, that I competed against were constantly breaking national records. Um, you know, uh, uh miles Irish and Mike Starr and, uh, Charles Marsala and people like that, that just really, um, Dion Cameron that really shaped my, uh, your, my perspective. Where, where, yeah. Where was this, um, uh, which high school was this at that you ran? I went to, I went to Albany high school in Albany, New York's where I graduated from. And, uh, Tracy Baskin, uh, was it just a kid that walk in the halls in Albany that, uh, you know, as a junior, we talked into, cause he was tall. We talked him into coming out for track, uh, his junior year. Um, and he ended up running 46, four for the, uh, for the 400 um, and, you know, got a full scholarship to Seton Hall and then uh, ended up uh, being the NCAA champion in, at 800 meters outdoors uh, at 800 meters uh, was a 146 um, uh, 800 meter runner in college. But I think he ended up running 144 for 800 meters. Um, just, you know, I thought that was normal. I thought it was normal that, you know, you had guys going back and forth, breaking the national record. Um, in the, in the thousand, uh, we had a kid that we ran against constantly that in two weeks broke the national record, the 600, the thousand and the 3000, 
uh, within a span of two weeks. Uh, I just thought all this was just normal, you know. So was this uh, like a three-year hotbed period in at Albany High School, or or they just have been just just that area, you know, Miles, the the kid that broke the national record in uh, in the six hundred, the thousand, and the and the three thousand. Um, he ran, you know, one twenty for six hundred meters. Uh, I want to say two twenty three for a thousand meters and eight sixteen on a 155 meter track for uh for 3000 meters which was the national record at the time and it was just like i just thought it was normal you know so that was like my benchmark on hey you you need to step up your game and you know but you know you realize some of these records lasted i mean some of them are still um in existence as a matter of fact so it's just was just a bizarre unique 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 time um in in new york state track uh, history and you know we were fortunately we were there you know so there you go so you fell into what event what was your special i fell into you know when i was in high school i really ran everything from from 200 meters to the two mile no no joke um and but my my sweet spot i guess would have been 600 800 a thousand meters um and you know i got uh I didn't really even get heavily recruited by, by Indiana. I got, uh, you know, I had some interest from Indiana, uh, but I, you know, I got heavily recruited by Eastern Michigan, uh, Michigan state, uh, but Indiana is where I wanted to go. And so that's where I ended up going and, uh, you know, just had a tremendous, uh, you know, tremendous experience just being a part of just a, a really good team. You know what I mean? And, you know, a lot of the guys that I ran with, you know, we, you know, we were kind of B team guys, but you're B team guys on, on a squad where, you know, if you can run 150 or 149, you're still kind of a B team guy uh, in that era, you know, uh, which is hilarious because at most colleges, most division one schools in America, you'd have been the guy, you know, right. but at, but at Indiana, no, <laughs> right. you know, and I, I tell this story all the time. I said, we had a B team group of guys that just, you know, they were, tremendous athletes they just didn't happen to be our number one or number two 800 meter guys and uh but four of those guys got together and ended up breaking the, the american record in the four by eight and i thought yeah. that was incredible yeah that's cool now you had mentioned too that you uh were for a while training partners with sunder nicks at indiana uh sunder you know it's funny because in 1983 i remember being at home in new york and watching the the helsinki world championships and just, you know, wow, you know, come on, you know, three channels back in those days, it would come on like at, at 11 o'clock to one o'clock in the morning. And as soon as it was done, I'd go run like 13 miles at night, right? Because <laughs> yeah, I was so amped up that I would, I ran a 13 mile route and I'd go do that like every single night for a week. I did that. Um, and um, and Sunder Nix was one of the highlights of that. I remember he finished second in the, 400 to Bert Cameron from Jamaica. And I remember just thinking, man, this guy was incredible. And then uh, our, I was blessed by the fact, and stupid dumb luck, by the fact that our state championships in New York uh, were right after the NCAA championships in Syracuse. So basically every college coach in America watched you race. Um, you know, in your indoor state championship. So it was just phenomenal. I met so many coaches. That's why I got recruited by Eastern Michigan. And, um, and you know, it was just a tremendous experience. But, uh, uh, you know, I just 
you know, just love that, love that training environment, love the experience of being, being able to put, put your talents out there in front of a lot of coaches. It was just awesome. And so you, uh, you came into IU as a freshman in what year? Uh, 1985, uh, the fall of 1985. And in that recruiting class, if you know, great names were, um, you know, Mark Deedy, Jim White, Scott Williams, Mark Rodholm, uh, Jeff Wheeler, um, Dan Burton, uh, you know, national record holder, Bobby Kennedy, you know, the hurdler, Bobby Kennedy, uh, Alan Phillips. I mean, it was just a, just a loaded, loaded. Jim, Jim Spivey had already graduated, correct? Jim Spivey had just graduated, right. Uh, Terry Brom had one year of eligibility. James Murphy had one year of eligibility. Charles Marsala was still there. Dion Cameron was still there. And there, and where um, was Sunder in this mix? Um, um, Sunder had just graduated, but he was still training. Um, so when I reported, um, I got my first workout sheet. And the first name I recognized in my little group of six people was Sunder Nix. And I like freaked out because I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Like Sunder Nick, Sunder Nick. What was that like? Did he design um, a couple of your workouts or what? Um, Coach Bell, Coach Bell planned okay, out the he, workouts, he but, the but yeah, I mean, at the time, I think Sunder was the indoor world record holder at 400 meters. Um, you know, Dion Cameron was just, I mean, in New York, Dion Cameron was a legend, just a legend, you know? Um, uh, and Charles Marsala was a legend. So these guys are like, all of a sudden, these guys are your teammates. You know, um, I remember uh, running the national championships in, in Baton Rouge, uh, attack national championships and uh, racing against Mark Deedy. Uh, and I told Mark this story, so I don't, I don't have any problem hearing this. You know, he, he looked at everyone and told everyone that, you know, that, uh, you know, and he was talking to his teammates, but he said it in front of everyone. He's like, yeah, we're not losing. <laughs> I thought that was like the most arrogant thing I'd ever heard. I, I'm turning around trying to amp up my guys. Did you hear what he just said? Come on, guys, we're not gonna, we're not gonna stay. Well, they killed everybody. It was unbelievable, right? And uh, I'm thinking, God, that guy was arrogant. And I look in the room, like that's the guy from Nationals. Now he's your teammate. So you know, he, he and they were just incredible. You know, uh, Jim White was incredible. Illinois, uh, multiple state record holder. I was like a 148 half miler in high school. Uh, Mark Rodholm was kind of the same way. He ran 147 as a freshman. I mean, guys, it was just Courtney, do you have any things that you personally overcame in your, your track stint at IU? Um, I think, you know, I, I think getting to the point where, um, you know, you're overcoming things. And I had just, I had one summer that was just, it was the best training summer that I've ever had, you know, uh, probably running 80, 80 miles a week. All of a sudden you felt things start to come together and it just dawned on me that, you know, um, I think if things keep going along this route, I remember doing some training runs with Charles Marcella and, and Scott Williams, who was big 10 champ, uh, in, who was also in that recruiting class. I didn't even mention, uh, but you know, he's big 10 champion cross country. Uh, but going on some runs with those guys and feeling like, you know what, you might just be able to pull this off as far as getting on the cross country team. Um, and then that fall, um, I things just started going south and I'm like, what in the world? Well, it turns out I had mono. Um, and so that was like my first stint with, uh, with uh, something like that. And then I started getting a series of stress fractures and just started trying to overcome. But 
and I had, I had a good indoor season that year. Uh, but then I got stress fractures again, and it's just a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, somewhere in that stint, I contemplated actually quitting track and, uh, and, and riding for my fraternity, which was Acacia. Um, and, uh, that didn't work out. That's a, you know, this is a story in and of itself, but, uh, this was uh but junior you know, year? this was, your this was year? my junior year, maybe my first senior year. So I ended up in fifth year senior. So, yeah, but somewhere, somewhere in there, um, my the end of my junior year, I, I started contemplating, hey, what and, if I switch for over? Those that, for those that don't know, uh, and not that you were, because you said, uh, I don't know how it worked with running meets, uh, but fifth year eligibility wouldn't have necessarily applied to you anyway if you weren't running at track meets as a freshman, correct? Isn't that how Right, that's right. That, that's correct. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, so, you know, I put everything into track and, uh, you know, started feeling like my body wasn't handling it very well. Um, but I, I had some really good runs, um, uh, you know, especially my, my junior year, had some really good runs. And just, you know, my, my last two years there was just kind of a struggle, you know, just trying to stay healthy and it got frustrating and, and all of that. But uh, how did but that play like into I, academics? I mean, were you also challenged because you're, you're, doing two-day workouts. I remember because I went out yeah. to walk on my freshman year. I remember falling asleep in my books because we would do the weights after you did the morning I, runs. I, I, I'd, that's be, a, I'd be that's trying exactly to chase right. down the girls in the, in the, in the golf course at IU because I, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't the caliber. I, I remember that. Yeah. You know, I remember, uh, you know, I said the first indoor workout that, that I remember running, I ran 16 200s. And, uh, uh, and at that time, you lifted weights after your hard workouts. And so you went, you lifted weights. And I remember uh, being in line with a teammate of mine, Mike Warren, and passing out in the cafeteria line. <laughs> uh, you know, just, Man. I just, yeah. So, you know, passing out in Briscoe in line with a full plate of food. So that was, that was awesome. Briscoe, so, Briscoe. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly yep. right. So, um, you know, just, uh, you know, put a lot into it. Let's put it that way. But, you know, the question was about academics. And the funny thing was, I really feel, and I tell people this all the time, you know, the, the years I was hurt were the years I struggled the most academically. And I think that's because, you know, when you're healthy and you're running, you've, you've got a short window to get all your stuff done. And it keeps you so like regimented on your, you know, hey, dude, you know, you're tired. You've got two hours to study and that's all you're going to get. And so you hit the library and you're two hours, three hours, but boom, boom, boom. You got to get it done because if you don't get it done, it ain't going to get done. Um, so when you all of a sudden have all this free time, that's when things go south. Sure. You know, yeah, so hey, I'll, yeah, I'll push that to, I'll push that to tomorrow. I'll push that to tomorrow. And you know, what's the old adage tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Right. So, um, so anyway, just one of those things. So now um, writing was obviously something that was not exactly on the back front because you, you dabbled with uh, thinking about it uh, that one spring. Uh, sure. Now, tell us, it, it sounds as if, right, that uh, you didn't actually ride the little five until you became a grad student. And that's kind of- Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us yeah, about- you did, you, did, you did the math on that. That's awesome. Yeah. So t tell us yeah. about how that came about. And I, it was an important step because I don't know the exact year, but I know there was a drought of uh, black, uh, a black team. It had been, it'd been forever. Five. I mean, I yeah. think the first couple races in Little Five in the 50s, I think they, they had a black team. 
Uh, I think Alpha Phi Alpha put together a couple a couple teams, you know, and which was awesome. Um, <clears throat> and you know, fast forward, I graduated in 1990. I worked for uh, you know what's now Price Waterhouse Coopers, and um, you know I was an accounting an accounting major, uh, so I was an auditor for for a couple of years, and then. I decided I want to go back to school, you know, and part of me going back to school was, you know, Hey, if I'm going to go back, maybe I could revisit this whole black cycling team thing and try and get some people interested in it. And so I started going around campus and talking to people that were there and this idea that I had about putting a black team together. And I got interest from three guys, Greg Taylor, um, um, Eric, geez, his last name, uh, John, his last name just jumped right out of my head. It'll come back to me though. Uh, Greg Taylor and Jamie Pinder. Um, did watching, uh, Nelson Bales in 84 have anything to do with that or not really? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, and, and to be honest with you, you know, I tend to do a lot of things, uh, when I get ticked off, to be honest with you and people that know me know this about me. And what ticked me off a lot was that, you know, I'd go to the race and, um, I, I went with my fraternity Acacia and I was like, literally. I don't know if I was the first, but I was one of the first black members of a white fraternity at, at Indiana. I was an Acacia. And so I do a lot of things with the Acacia fraternity. And so one of them that I love to do is go to the race, you know? Um, and um, so I'd go to the race and, you know, you always kind of look around and marvel at the fact that, you know, I didn't really see any other black people at the race. And you're talking about, you know, back in those days, I mean, it's, 50,000 people there, you know, um, you know, they've, they've kind of truncated it to kind of keep the crowds down. But then, and there's a race I went to those more than 50,000 people were in the stands and, you know, you're looking around and you're like, I don't see any other black people here, you know, and, and then talking to people about, Hey, you know, why aren't there any black riders? Why aren't there any, you know, and come to find out about, you know, the black student picnic and how they hold a separate event at the same time, other side of campus. And that, to be honest with you, that kind of infuriated. And because to me, it was a passive way to keep you know, people away from the race. And I thought the race was a great event. So I tried to figure out a way uh, to get people involved. And I started talking to people at foundation about it. And they, you know, they had a problem with it, uh, you know, also, you know. Uh, and so they kind of asked me, hey, what, what did I think would, would make the difference? I'm like, you know, it's obvious to me, you need a black team. And so, you know, when I came back as a grad student, I tried to you know, organize some, some undergrads. I found three guys that were interested. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I talked to the foundation. They're like, well, why don't you ride? I'm like, well, I can't ride. I'm a grad student. You know, I graduated. I came back. You know, I can't ride. And basically, they, they hit me up with, hey, you know what? If you want to ride, you can ride. Uh, you know, we can basically we can shift and change the rules any way we see fit. And, you know, if you want to ride as a grad student, we'll make you the first and apparently the only grad student ever to ride in a little five months. I think you still <laughs> you hold know. that distinction. I think I, I hold that distinction. Yeah. I'm the only cool. grad student ever to like ride going back in time <laughs> in little five. Right. So, yeah. uh, so I did it and we were, you know, we tried our butts off, but we were terrible. We were terrible. We were awful. We didn't we just didn't know anything about cycling, you know, and, uh, we had gotten a lot of publicity for, you know, making this attempt. And sometimes that kind of backfires on you because, you know, uh, teams don't like teams that get publicity, you know what I mean? And so when you're now getting publicity and you're asking people for, for help, um, you know, we got basically 
you know, no love in, on, on the help front in terms of how do we do this, you know? And so, you know, I think initially in the short term, it sucked. Uh, in the long term, it ended up being the best thing that ever could have happened because it forces you to figure it out yourself. And sometimes in figuring it out yourself, it forces you to be creative. It forces you to, to come up with ways of thinking about the race that no one's ever thought of. You know what I mean? Because we didn't know anything. So we had to make it up all on our own. And so when we came back in, uh, in 2002 um, with Team Major Taylor, the first incarnation with Josh Weir and Simeon Cummins Young and Curtis Bishop and, um, and Julio German, uh, that first incarnation, you know, those guys were like, hey, you know, Josh and uh, Bahati and the rest of those guys were like, hey, we know what we're doing. We're experienced cyclists. So, you know, the, the vibe and they'll probably tell you the same thing. Hey, man, we really don't need to hear about cycling from a guy that's never cycled before. We've got this. Well, we've got this ended up turning into us getting lapped um, and us crashing and us finishing ninth. Uh, that first year in, in 2000, uh, in 2002. Which, by the uh, way, a, to finish in the top 10 after a crash is not necessarily an embarrassing... And, uh, and, and, uh, and with four freshmen, post. and with four freshmen, and those same four freshmen, you know, uh, qualified second in quals uh, with standing exchanges in, because we'd gone to, we'd gone to, you know, we blew our third exchange in quals and you know the buzz going was that we were like five seconds ahead of the pole setter time when we when we scratched right and so um and so what we ended up doing was uh we said hey you know i don't want to go to a third attempt because i did that in 92 and it's the most nerve-wracking thing you'll ever experience in your life so literally just stop the bike in the middle of the exchange zone the other guy grab it and run and get off and so we, that's literally what we did. We stopped the bike in the middle of the exchange zone. Next guy grabbed it and just took off. And the next guy stopped and next guy grabbed it. And so we did that three times. Standing. So when, you say, when you say you stopped the bike, um, did, it's not like you had a second bike prepared. No, we, we did bike to bike exchanges, but we had the incoming rider stop the bike. And hit so the, the next, right, hit the brakes. So there's no chance of us of foul. Is, and then is, the other, is, the other is now exchanging a different bike, and and and, right. and having to go from a dead stop. From a dead stop, and we did that. They were the slowest exchanges in the history of quals, and we qualified second. And so, how does that happen? You guys were, they were fast on the because they were really, really, really fast. Yep, they were just crazy fast. And and I think to be honest with you, that got more people's attention or got more, more, you know, more attention from people than anything. Cause you know, they had the same reaction. How the hell do you stop the bike in the middle of an exchange on still qualify second? Well, you know, what's interesting too. And I was just thinking of this, I think, um, uh, as far as I remember, Acacia had the unique exchange that, um, that, that they had the, they had the, that, they had the ghost exchanges. Exchange. Yeah. The ghost exchange. And we, we thought about that as a matter of fact, in 92, we copied that, but then, uh, then, you know, we talked through it and the guys, you know, we, we came up with, uh, with exchanges that, um, uh, you know, we tried in, in 2002, um, but then in 2003 and 2004, we came up with a, a, an exchange that really I haven't seen since. We called them four by one exchanges. 
uh, where we would start a runner like way, to, I mean, like 30 yards down the track. And as soon as the incoming rider hit a mark, that runner would sprint. And so in 2004, the bike didn't slow down at all because the person catching the bike was running at top end speed. Um, and you did it as, a, as a training exercise, you're saying, yeah. Yeah, well, we did it yeah. in quals in 04 and we ended up on the pole. Um, so, you know, uh, oh, so third, that was- You had a running sprint for, uh, for that- Like literally like a running. So the, we time it so that the outgoing runner and the bike would hit the middle of the exchange zone at the same time. But the wow. runner would be, uh, I mean, running as fast as he could run when he caught the bike. Um, and we ended up on the pole that year, but I wouldn't recommend that because those guys were crazy, uh, crazy athletic and crazy talented. And the, the analogy that I use, it reminded me of the old, uh, the old Westerns where, where, uh, the native Americans would jump on ponies that were running. Yeah, it yeah. was like that. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? That's it's awesome. like, yeah, you don't want to try that at home, but, uh, yep. but they were so good at that. It was like, it was unbelievable. It really was. So uh, we ended up on the pole that year in 04, which was a race that we felt we always feel like that was the one that got away from Team Major Taylor, even though we finished second, our second year. But the following year was the year we really should have won. For those that don't know the legacy of Major Taylor, tell us the most impressive thing about, about him, you know, historically. Um, I think, you know, the most impressive, I mean, athletically, of course, you know, you know one of the, uh, at the time, highest paid athlete in the world, uh, fastest cyclist in the world, you know, probably the most devout Christian athlete in the world uh, at the time, refused to race on Sundays. Um, you know, just someone that uh, was truly a role model uh, in a time, just ahead of his time, you know, just ahead of his time, talking about marketing and marketing himself and, um, you know, and promoting himself and just ahead of his time. Um, and, but the, the thing that really stood out to me were the things that he overcame uh, to, to be where he was. And, you know, I think at that time, there's only you know, there's only so much, you know, you can stem the tide, so to speak. And I think later on in his career, I think it all rolled back on him. And he ended up dying, uh, you know, uh, you know, penniless, basically. Um, I did not know that. Uh, after being one of the highest paid, the highest paid athlete on the planet at the time. Um, you know, dies broke in Glenview, Illinois, you know. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, very interesting story for sure. So now let's let's uh, fast forward to, uh, you know, you had a number of coaching years. Uh, you had what uh, I want to highlight as it sounds to me like the two uh, most improbable comebacks. I guess was that 2022. Um, that was 2018. Oh, 2018. 2018. Yeah, 20, Yep. Okay. It was my uh, sec. My second year with Theta Phi Alpha um, and my second year with Jet Black. And Jet Black was a team that ironically qualified 32nd um, because, we, you know, our, our thing was we qualified in literally in a blizzard and thinking there's no way ice all over the tires. You know, you're, you're chipping ice and snow off your tires. And we're like, surely we're not going to qual in this. And they're like, no, you got to go. And the time that we had, unfortunately, it was literally a blizzard. 
And so, you know, guys were just trying to stay upright. And we, I think we ended up qualifying like 20th at the time. And you just started watching it roll back. And there was, I mean, there was a time where we're thinking we're not going to make the race. And so we ended up losing our best rider, a um, guy by the name of Alex Koontz, uh, ended up losing our best rider. And I, I felt like he felt like we were going to be terrible. And so the training philosophy that, that I do, I don't know that, you know, my, my thing about the way that we trained, especially that year, uh, and the, the message that I would always preach, the events that we run um, are too short for what we do and what we're training to do to show up. They're not gonna show up in quals. It's not gonna show up in, in, uh, you know, in ITTs. It's not gonna show up in, in team pursuit. It might show up a little bit in team pursuit. And I think we finished fifth or something in team pursuit, sixth, uh, but where it will show up is in the race because we interval train like our lives depend on it. And we had the ability, and I always preach the fact that it's not about, you know, how fast, um, you know, how fast you could ride a set, you know? Um, and I think people at some point used to wonder how, like the majority of the teams that we fielded, some of those guys never ride, rode in a bike race. I want, you know, we won in, uh, in 2016 with Delta Todd Delta. And for three of those guys, that was their first bike race ever, you know, uh, and we pulled that off. Uh, but what you're training them to do is to get on the bike and ride a really hard effort and then stop and then get on the bike and ride a really hard effort and then stop and get on the bike and ride a really hard effort and stop over and over and over and over and over again. And that only shows up during the race and it showed up big time a lot for us. So, um, you know, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool, but but so it, it takes some, it takes some buy. Interval, the 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 max effort and the latent period, and then and then training your body to get ready again to do it again. Yeah, and yeah. do it again, and then you know you're doing these set intervals where hey, you're only going to be on the bike five ten minutes. Ten minutes is a long set, you know. So I need you to you know get on bikes with resistance rollers and and pedal at 155 RPMs for ten minutes, and then we're going to take ten minutes in in September, and then we're going to do it again. And then we're going to, but in November, we're going to take nine minutes. In, uh, in October, we're going to take nine minutes. In November, we're going to take six minutes. In December, we're going to take five minutes. In January, we're going to take four minutes. And you see what I'm getting at? Tapered in. And, so, yeah. and so by the time they get to March, it's like they're able to recover. So, right. and they're just so right. used to it, you know, because in September, they're like, no one can spin on resistance rollers, 155 RPMs right. for 10 minutes. Sure. And then in March, they're doing it. Yep. You know. We're, we're going to hear in a minute, uh, and this is going to be the teaser, how you guys manage in two back-to-back -back races. You coach two different teams, uh, catch up on a lap that you fell uh, somehow. Lap, lap and a half down in a women's race, lap and a half down in the, in the, uh, in the men's race. And yeah, uh, not made just, them both so up. So we're going we're gonna to come back and we're going to hear that in one second. Sounds great. And again, this is uh, Dr. Ben Pearl on Fit Foot You.